The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. The big question is whether you're going to be able to say a hearty yes to your adventure. Joseph Campbell. And I was able to set pace and kind of keep them going. Um, but by 3 a.m. I was exhausted and resorted to, uh, you know, belting out country ballads in order to uh, stay awake through the Buttonwood Canal. Um, now, you, you Californians may not know this, but um, at night when you shine your light into brush and there's animal eyes that look back, predator eyes are red and uh, like frog eyes or um, non-predator eyes are like white or silver and so going down the buttonwood canal so sleepy I'm about to fall out of my boat you turn your head left or right and all you see is a sea of red eyes all crocodile eyes I'm Doc and this is the John freaking Mirpod. John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags and hiker trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Now, you know, I say that every week. I say it every week. And yet, you know, the reviews are not coming in. So I'm not sure whether to take that as nobody's enjoying the podcast or that you, you're just very busy in your lives and you just can't find the time to, to take one or two minutes and help us out and leave that review. So I'm just going to implore you right now, again, please 
If you, if you enjoy the podcast, let us know, fill out a review. Um, I know that people are tuning in and they're listening. I can't imagine that everybody that's listening is a brand new customer who listens to it for the first time and says, oh no, this is not for me. I have to, I have to imagine we have some repeat customers out there. So if, if you are a repeat customer, really just help us out a little bit. All right. Let's get to this week's guest who joined us in season three to talk about his incomplete Everglades challenge attempt. Welcome back to the John Freaking Mirpod, Brian Sheridan. How's it going, Brian? Hey, Doc. It's great. Hey, have you left us a review on, on Apple Podcasts? Well, I was going to say, I am not an Apple Podcast user. I'm a Spotify user, uh, but I've left you a review on Spotify. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. What, was it a, a five-star or one-star? You know, 4.8. We can't go all the way. 4.8. Okay. That's about, that's about my average. So I, that's, that's okay. It <laughs> falls in line. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, Brian, I know that last time I think we took the call on you BS because of your initials, Brian Sheridan. Um, have you picked up a trail name along along your latest endeavors out there? I, I have. Um, and the, it's also BS. So it's uh, Buffalo Soldier is my official like tribe name, which is kind of like a trail name for paddle sports. And uh, I picked that up uh, in 2001. Uh, paddling the uh, wilderness waterway through the Everglades National Park. And uh, I was with like a few older gentlemen. One of them needed help pulling his uh, boat up onto a dock. And uh, I just reached over and picked it up one-handed and flipped it up onto the dock for him. And uh, he said that I was uh, like a water buffalo hauling stuff for him. And uh, and I'm also into reggae, so the buffalo soldier kind of came and stuck. Nice, nice. You're into reggae. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. I just like reggae music, man. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Caribbean uh, when I was going to sea, and uh, just enjoyed the enjoyed the you know beach vibes and you know soul reggae. Do you have reggae going on your when you're out on your challenges there? I don't really listen to music too much when I'm out uh, paddling a little bit. Um, and if I do, it's because it's super late at night and I'm trying to not fall asleep in my boat. And then I usually do like, uh, you know, like honky tonk sing alongs, you know, like good old, you know, old school country. Yeah. I would think that if you're trying not to fall asleep, it's not just listening to music. There has to be an active part to right, it. Right. Singing along. That's probably Singing, a very, yeah. very good strategy. Yeah, exactly. Amarillo by morning is a favorite. Mm-hmm. If only, if only Jeff Legend Garmeyer had followed that uh, principle while he was setting his FKT on the the JMT. You know, he did 220 miles on foot in 72 hours and 47 minutes. But at some point, he found himself asleep. He doesn't remember going to sleep, but he found himself asleep, kind of on the side of a stream. He he actually had fallen asleep while he was wow. while he was running. Yeah, I listened to that episode. It was amazing. He's a <laughs> he's an inspiration. That guy. He is a madman, but he is, he is so much fun to talk to. He is. He is very entertaining. I'm looking forward to his uh, movie that's coming out. Same. Same. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, you, we, you've been on the podcast before. You're obviously listening to the podcast. You know that we have a segment towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week, where I will turn to you and ask you to share some wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So I know you won't be surprised by that. Absolutely. Okay. The must bring gear review. 
Hey, BS. Another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day adventure, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you, if you have a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, Brian, what is your must-bring piece of gear? And you notice that I, I tailored it to multi-day adventure. What do, what do you need out there? Right. Uh, on, on the Everglades challenge, what do you insist on being packed? Uh, a must have for me is earplugs. There's, uh, you know, uh, mosquitoes, noceums, you know, buzzing, humming bugs, and uh, they get in your ears and you can't sleep and it's no good. And so if you're going to do a multi-day, you know, South Florida adventure, I highly recommend earplugs. Okay. And is that... Does that, that kind of fall under the category of ignorance is bliss? I mean, do you use those while you're adventuring or while you're sleeping? Or both? while you're sleeping, while you're—I mean, because so I sleep inside a tent, you know, with a mosquito mesh. You're not getting bit, okay. but you can—they still, you know, they—they're so thick they can literally make a mat around the outside of your tent, like underneath your rain fly. <laughs> Yuck! Yeah, yeah, with an incent, you know, an unbelievable hum. Now, we're going to be talking about Florida today, but uh, I'm in Southern California, and there has been a recent influx within the last nine months of, I believe it's something from Asia that's come over on, on the boats, uh, the shipping containers, these, these mosquitoes that we've never had before, these little, you can't even, it, it seems like I, I never see them out there, but I always come in after barbecuing or after sitting out on the patio with just tons of bites around my ankle and my legs. And I, you know, I'm not the only one it's, it's in the news out here that, that we're being invaded. Well, get the spray out. It works. Uh, yeah. I'm, I was going to, I hope your pro tip at the end, it has, has something to do with mosquitoes. I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. It's the hiking pole. All right. So you've done the hiking pole before. And I think I tailored it to kind of your, your adventures at the time. And what I've done since then, if I have a repeat customer on, I have uh, thrown out the old questions. I brought in some new questions. I've decided, you know, let's talk about some of the big issues facing our society today. Now, you haven't okay. seen these before, so you have no idea what I'm going to ask you. No. I'm going I'm to ask you seven questions. We could probably spend an entire podcast episode, maybe even an entire podcast season on some of these. But uh, I'm going to get your initial reaction. What side of the fence you fall on uh, to give you a, scale, a, a rating on the, on, the insanity, on the insanity scale from one to 100? Actually, I'm going I'm to put it as the sanity scale because one is most insane. 100 is completely sane. Okay. All right. How do you think your friends and family would rate you at this point? Well, I, you know, I think uh, I'm less crazy than a through hiker who does a, a ultra long trail, but I'm definitely, you know section hiker crazy let's put it that way section hiker crazy i like that i like that so as a a a a long trail through hiker that person would be about you know crazy or 45 40 yeah, I don't closer, know, yeah. To, closer to zero right yeah i don't want to put labels on it but definitely they're they're closer okay. to crazy than i am and section section hiker would be a little bit a little bit saner a little right. bit more, a little sane. more sane yeah yeah Definitely mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, showing up to work next Tuesday. Nice. Yeah. The through hikers don't even have jobs. So that's right. That's right. They're walking for, for five, six months at a time. Or if you're like Jason Cook, 
you're out there for a couple of years. I mean, he's out there right now on a, on a 16,000 mile trek. Yeah. He's a two. He's a two. I'm going to let him know. He's a two. <laughs> Very good. All right. So you have no idea what questions I'm going to ask, or, or you know what? You're a regular listener. You might've heard some of these before. Maybe. Okay. So let's get your take on these. Question number one, do you sleep with your socks on? Hard no. Hard no. Hard, firm no. Very yeah. different. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, I weigh 300 pounds and I get sweaty real easy. Okay. No, no. I mean, I'm like, a, I'm like a AC at 70 degrees with just a sheet and underwear if I have to. Okay, we're That's venturing it. into the TMI category, but uh, I like yeah. it. I like you it. You asked. I, I did. I did. I was actually asking about your socks, but okay. Yeah. Hard no socks. Hard no. All right. Question number two. This one, an entire season, we, we can spin on this one. Uh, does pineapple belong on pizza? Also hard no. Really? Yeah, no. What, what does belong on pizza? Meat and cheese with minor vegetables. What what are the minor vegetables? Oh, you know, uh, peppers, garlic, maybe onions, maybe some uh, mushrooms. Mm -hmm. That's about what it. Would, what would what would qualify for the major vegetables? Is, uh, is you know, like a supreme, like a is... yeah, a supreme pizza with you know a foot and a half of arugula on top of it. Okay. So when you say minor vegetables, do you just mean the amount or there are, there's a category yeah, quantity, of vegetables? Quantity. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't mean like significant okay. or insignificant vegetables. I just mean. All right. I thought know, we were going to do, a, I thought we were going to dive, a deep dive no. into the vegetable kingdom. What is, what is no. the, what are the minor vegetables and the major vegetables? No, no fruit on pizza, period. No fruit on pizza. All right. Question number three, do you roll your toilet paper over? Or under i'm a dog person so i'm a over so i have friends who are cat people and they do the under to avoid the uh catastrophe toilet paper incidents catastrophe toilet paper incidents is that a thing i believe so i mean have you ever owned a cat i have not well when i was a kid when i was little but uh, not as an adult no if you get an angry cat man you'll come home and you're like whole bathroom will be destroyed because they're upset at you for something. That's a catastrophe. You know, I, ha I have to say, I was a little taken aback. Uh, I have never had the answer to that question be, well, I'm a dog person. That's right. As, as the lead in to the explanation of whether. But, I mean, the only reason for the under roll is if you have a cat who likes to do the, you know, pitter patter on the toilet paper, right. just goes around and around with the under roll, but that, the rest of the world should use the overall. Yeah. So the cat can't gain traction on the, on the underall. Well, no, it just spins around. Just, they're it just spins they're, and it yeah, doesn't, yeah. doesn't come off. Right. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, that makes the next question kind of obvious. Um, next question is cats or dogs? Yeah. Dogs. Dogs. Big dogs, little dogs. Uh, this is a debate in the house. Uh, so I have two daughters who want a purse dog. Uh, but I have a, a, a hard, fast rule of if it's not a large enough dog to pick up a full-size tennis ball, we cannot have it. That is interesting. 
Yep. You know, we have a rule at our house that if the dog has poop that's bigger than your poop, then you know that that's not a that's not a dog we can have. <laughs> this is like opposite ends of the spectrum. This, yeah, these yeah, are yeah. good rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have a Boston Terrier, so I mean, he's like thirty pounds. He's not a big dog, but he can catch a frisbee and and uh, pick up a, a, a full size tennis ball. A full size tennis ball, as opposed yeah. to the undersized tennis ball. Yeah, I mean, you know, they make like tennis balls the size of a marble, which you no, know, Fifi, Fifi no. the the purse dog, can pick up, and then that doesn't count. The purse dog. Now, yeah. a purse dog. I think the definition of a purse dog obviously is a dog that you can carry along in a a. a, a a satchel, a device that goes over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, question number four. No, question five. Question five. There are these little animated pictures, little short videos, uh, and it's the name for them is spelled G-I-F. How do you pronounce that? I pronounce it GIF. GIF with a hard G. Yeah. Like GIF with no T. Like gift with no tea. Kind of. I don't know. Just whatever. I don't know. Uh, you're the English major, man. I'm a, I'm a dyslexic engineer who chose my degree because it only had three English classes. Okay. I like just waiting sometimes and just seeing how long the awkward silence goes on. <laughs> great, great podcast content there. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. People are on the edge of their seats. What, what is going to happen next? Yeah. All right. Hey, speaking of English, question number six. Do you use the Oxford comma? Uh, no, I do not. And I don't have a reason behind it, mostly because uh, I think it's easier to, uh, you know, not guess than guess wrong. Okay. All right. I mean, is, is, is punctuation overrated? You know, again, that's like uh, asking a colorblind person if, uh, you know, if, if rainbows are overrated, you know, it's, I, I can barely, uh, I can barely write a paragraph without the use of a spell check and grammar check. So, you know, punctuation, just, punctuation has not been a big part of your life. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Like I said, I chose my major because there was three English classes, one of which was technical writing. So yeah, grammar, grammar is not my thing. That's great. I know, I know that some people choose their majors because they don't want to have anything to do with math or with, with science. You went the non-English route. Yes, exactly. I mean, you speak it fluently, but uh, right. hey, when it comes to the mechanics, less is more. Exactly. Got exactly. it. All right. And then my favorite question, is a hot dog a sandwich? You know, Technical definition, it is meat on a bun. I'd say yes. A hamburger is a sandwich, right? Yeah, I would call a hamburger a sandwich, yeah. It's under the sandwich section of most restaurant menus. Right. I would say yes, sandwich. Okay. All right. Hey, let me do some, uh, some quick calculation here. Let me put it through the algorithm. We're going to uh, carry the two. Now you're talking my language. Nice, nice. I uh, can divide by root three. What is root three exactly? You have an approximate this, numerical value for that? The square root of three? Yes. Uh, is it imaginary number? It has two answers. 
It does. It has a, a, so a this, negative this, root and a positive root, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So look so at me, only, former English yeah. teacher, spouting off some math, some math principles. Yeah, it's only like one of a, like a few math questions that have multiple answers. Okay, and we're also going to take that and multiply it by pi. Can you yeah. give me pi? Can you give me pi to five digits? Oh, I don't know, but I can do three point one four seven for sure. Okay, I don't know the rest. I got you know four. Okay, all right. Well, I'll give you a bonus point for that one. And then we're going to go ahead and, and adjust that for the level of humidity at uh, Sanibel Island Oof. on the Everglades Challenge. And uh, I come out with a very solid, surprising 65 for you. Okay. Fairly sane. Fairly sane. Yeah, you're, you are definitely above the midpoint. Okay. You know, How do you feel about that. that? Better than average, you know? I'm good. Better than average. All right. All right. Hey, let's uh, let's uh, move on to our, our next section here. Let's let's remind folks, you know, you've been on the podcast before. Uh, get, just refresh our memories in terms of your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports hobbies, sports and hobbies you were involved in as a kid, how you got involved with uh, outdoor adventure. And we'll just leave sure. it right there for right now. Start with that. Yep. Uh, grew up in Texas, uh, was in Boy Scouts and uh, basically started backpacking, hiking, canoeing in, in Boy Scouts. Um, and then moved to, well, actually, I went to a Maritime Academy in uh, on the hill coast of Texas called the Texas Maritime Academy. It's part of Texas A&M. And uh, there I did, uh, we, I sailed a lot. I was on the offshore sailing team. Um you know, got big into boat racing there. Um, and then later was a chief engineer on private yachts, moved to Florida. Uh, and then that sort of brings us to uh, my 2020 Everglades attempt. Uh, so the Everglades challenge is a, a 300 mile race from Tampa to Key Largo uh, through Everglades National Park and 10,000 Islands National Park, uh, and then ends in the Keys. It's uh, a mix of offshore and inland routes. Uh, so I knew about the race in college, like as a sailboat race. Uh, and in 2020, the race happened on my 40th birthday. So I decided to attempt the race. And if you want to hear all the details, you can listen to my other episode. Uh, long story short, I didn't make it. Um, and then uh, we did a podcast about, you know, sort of lessons learned and, uh, a couple near-death experiences on the race and yeah and then so in 2021 i kind of made a promise to the wife and the family i would not attempt the race again just because the amount of time and uh energy needed to train for the race uh and then re-attempted the race in 2022 this march oh wow now i have to ask you i mean are you in florida right now yeah i, I live in fort lauderdale okay you're in fort, fort lauderdale so you you are probably familiar with the the Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen situation that's currently going on. Yeah, I mean, who really cares? Yeah, well, the guy retired from football, right? And then he unretired, and then I think he was given an ultimatum by Giselle. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? Obviously, he chose football. He chose yep. football. He's 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 currently playing football. So I only bring that up to ask you. I mean, you you had announced your retirement from the Everglades challenge and then you decide to do it again. Are we, are we in uh, similar territory for you? No, no, no. I mean, I was in the car ride home from my failed 2020 attempt. I was already talking about training and trying it again. 
Mm-hmm. But the, the meet in the middle with me and the wife is that I would not try it that next year immediately. I would uh, wait a year uh, and then do it in 2022. Got it. Got it. All right. Now, what has happened um, since the last time we talked? Don't, don't, don't necessarily get into Florida because right. we talk about Hurricane Ian and the after effects and aftermath of all that and how that impacted you or, or particularly the, the course of the Everglades Challenge. But what, what, what else has happened with you since the last time we talked? So uh, just because I don't do the Everglades Challenge doesn't mean I don't want to you know, get out there and have some you know, backcountry fun. So a buddy of mine and I decided to do a uh, section hike of the Appalachian Trail in Vermont. So we went from uh, Bromley to Killington, which is sort of two uh, ski slope towns in Vermont. Um, And I had a great time and I had a real good experience with uh, some pretty amazing trail magic. So on the first day going up, uh, I think the the second to the last hill for the day, uh, nothing California size, you know, it was like a, I don't know, 4,000 foot, uh, hill. I lost my cell phone going up and then we get to the top and I go to pull my phone out to take a picture of the view. I got no phone, uh, which is a problem. Cause that was also my, uh, you know, out my trail map as well. And, uh, so I have a little freak out, run back down the trail, look for my phone. I don't find it you know, continue on with the day, make it down to, uh, camp, you know, hanging my head low, kicking myself. Um, we're eating dinner and this like 19 year old kid comes in like wide eyed crazy. And this is, this is dark, you know, it's like eight thirty, nine o'clock. This guy rolls in, doesn't take his pack off, just sits at the, the, um, we were at a shelter. So there was a, a picnic table, sits at the picnic table, and just starts cooking his, you know, quickly made, you know, rehydrated uh, dinner. Start talking to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to Bromley tonight, you know, going for it. And, you know, I kind of felt bad for the kid. I was like, all right, man, you know, it's supposed to be cold tonight, you know, into the 30s. And you're going on top of the hill, so it'll probably be even colder up there. You know, do you have a jacket? You know, I was just a little fatherly advice. And, uh, and then he lets loose that he doesn't have any money. He's meeting his mom in Bromley and that um, he's going to camp on the side of the road, meet her tomorrow morning. I was like, all right, man, like, look, here's 20 bucks. And, uh, you know, Oh, and he's out of snacks too. The food, the dinner that he's eating was the only food that he had the last, last rehydrated meal. So, I mean, I had, I brought extra food and I had, you know, a hundred bucks cash on me. So I gave him a 20 and like, you know, a Snickers, and was like, by the way, if you see a black iPhone, it's mine. Could you please, you know, drop it off at the, cause there's a, there's a, it's called the Bromley Inn where we stayed. There's a little hotel right there. And that's where we left our car. Could you please drop my cell phone there? And he's like, oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I'll find your phone. No, hundred percent. So anyways, we hike on and this is day one. So we're out for four days. Um, when we get back uh, to the Bromley Inn, there's my cell phone, like, perfectly clean detailed like didn't look like it was in a mud pile on a trail this kid apparently found my phone took it out detailed it cleaned it brought it to the hotel they charged it my wife's calling me looking for me they answer the phone talk to the wife they're like yeah this kid dropped off your phone says she talked to your husband he's fine it was amazing 
trail magic that, at its that story took a turn there i don't I, I didn't know which way it was going to go i you know when you said trail magic uh, i thought okay somebody did some trail magic for you and then the first part of the story is you doing trail magic for for this kid right but it turns out the end result of this is some rarely seen or, or maybe it's not really seen i don't really heard of two-way trail magic right it was good Fantastic. i don't know i didn't get his name uh but uh, whoever he is i wish him well and uh he's a good kid he was he apparently had a, started the at uh like a year ago and then was trying to hustle through and finish the last section of his you know section through like the at southbound in vermont Right now, now BS, have you done some hiking before like that before? Sure. Yeah. I was a, um, uh, counselor at a backpacking summer camp in Colorado. Uh, we did. So every summer in high school, I would take a group of fifth grade girls up Pikes Peak in uh, Colorado, which is like a 14,000 foot mountain. Wow. And the lesson there, there lesson there then is that if fifth grade girls can do that i mean right sky's the limit that's right okay Very had, true. You done, had you done any hiking since then uh a little bit um i did uh some hiking in big bend national like right after college mm-hmm. i did like a uh 60 mile loop there but yeah i mean nothing crazy and right. it, you know many years between hiking I right. was amazed at how the gear had changed, uh, you know, going, you know, from uh, 2000 gear to 2020 gear. Big yeah, change. How, how did you round up your gear for this, this particular trip? I mean, did you have to buy well, all new stuff or did you borrow? Uh, flatly. That's why I started listening to your podcast was to educate myself on the, you know, the new, new style backpacking gear. You know, when I, when I last hiked, it was, leather boots and wool socks and, uh, you know, uh, a pack that weighs 10 pounds empty and, uh, you know, trekking poles were for sissies and, you know, and everybody used white gas, uh, you know, MSR stoves. So right. and that's was really, the, was the podcast helpful? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Whew. Thank goodness. All right. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so now i'm a now i'm a you know ultra trail runner um you know spandex pants and shorts with uh you know a dyneema ultralight pack nice you are officially hiker trash sort of yeah you, you know the definition of hiker trash no ib tat in his episode he he defined hiker trash not everybody can be hiker trash you can only be hiker trash if if you have spent the night in a, in a restroom of some in a porta, porta John or a restroom, it could be a porta John. It could be, it could be a, you know, a, a brick and mortar. Uh, okay. Bathroom. So, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't I don't know if I qualify. Yeah. I, I may have, I may have spent one or two nights in a bathroom in my house, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that qualifies though. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's the same. Okay. No. All right. And then, um, Remind us again, what do you do to pay the bills? So I'm a, this fun. Yeah, I'm a Marine engineer. Uh, I used to go to sea for a living on ships and private yachts. And now I am a project engineer at a uh, yacht repair company called engineered yacht solutions. 
So we, we repair metal hull vessels primarily. You know, it's interesting you say that because my, my sister, I don't know if I've, I've, I've talked about her on the podcast before. I have a couple of sisters. Uh, the one I'm talking about right now, um, she actually referred a guest to me, uh, Dina Zabaldo. If you listen to that episode, she is the trekking guide in Nepal. She, she was the, like the guide of the year for some mm. prestigious organization. There's only one of them per year and she was it. Um, but anyway, my sister, that particular sister, she and her husband live in a boatyard in Mexico and mm. they have been working on their boat, uh, a metal, metal hull boat for it seems like the last couple of years, I always ask them, are, are, is the boat in the water yet? No, no, not yeah. yet. We still have to replace this. We're doing this. We've got, huh. to, we've got to adjust. That, this. We've got to paint this. Is that and Ensenada? No, it's not an Ensenada. I, I, it's, it's a small town and it's, it's a boatyard that allows, allows the people who, who live in the boatyard to actually work on their boats. They don't have to hire, uh, you know, uh, contractors, people, yeah. contractors. They can actually do the work themselves and the huh. rent very cheap it's like 300 a month so living down in mexico in a boat yard oh, wow. a month fixing this boat and i always tease her because you know it's what you know boats boats usually touch water at some point and this one seems like it does not touch water in a long time <laughs> she sounds like uh are you familiar with a guy uh, named bernard messetier i am not french anyways he wrote a bunch of books like called like the long way down and the long way around but he's like uh, famous you know, like dirty hippie sailor okay like you know circumnavigated um multiple times in a steel hull sailboat with no refrigeration and you know eating like you know canned sardines and cold beans he's like the uh sailing equivalent of a cold soak through hiker oh yeah hardcore low on the sanity scale yeah yeah he's very low, low. And, and uh, I don't know where we're going with that. You, you talked about, about your, your, anyways. Your, yeah. So it reminded I, me of my sister living in a boatyard yeah. in Mexico, which yeah. is great, but also I'm going to skip ahead right now. We're going to, we're going to talk a little bit later about the uh, adventure media recommendation. I'm going to, I'm going to recommend to you right now, if you have not seen it yet, check out deep water. Okay. About the Thank deep water horizon. No, <clears throat> no. No, there's, I think there's three or four movies out there called Deep Water. This Deep Water is a documentary about an around-the-world sailboat race. And I think you can find it on YouTube. It's about an around-the-world sailboat, sailboat race that starts from London, and, or maybe not London, but England. And uh, it, go, it goes all the way around the world. The winner gets you know so much money. And this is back in the, I think it's in the 60s. And this guy, he was down on his luck. He was struggling with his finances. He had all kinds of creditors. And so he raised sponsorships. He said, oh, this is going to be a great way to, to kind of get myself out of, out of debt. So he had very little knowledge of sailing, but he, he found himself, he passed, him off, passed himself off as, a, as an expert sailor, raised all kinds of sponsorships to get into this race. And he actually got a boat together, got out there, and he found himself in a world of trouble. This is a fascinating story about this yeah. guy who uh, knows next to nothing out there, but just enough to, to be dangerous. And uh, the situation he finds himself in is just amazing. So wow. deep water, it's on okay. YouTube. Check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. I think, and I think that's the same race that Bernard Messitier did. Uh, it was called the Volvo Ocean Race. Anyways. Could be. 
Yep, could be. Now you said you used to go to sea for a living. What what would you do out on, out at sea? How would you earn your living? I was the I was the chief engineer of the vessel. So um, initially out of school, I sailed on container ships in the Indian Ocean, uh, and then uh, also worked in the Gulf of Mexico on drill ships, uh, and then took a vacation to St. Martin, which is like a big uh, yachting hub, and met some people who were in yachting, and you know they were basically offering the the same salary, but uh, much better life. And so I went home and packed up all my stuff, sold my car and got a job on a yacht. Now, what is life like on a container ship? I've, I've often, you know, when we, we, we do stuff out and around uh, by the ocean, we see the container ships out there. And I just wonder what it is like to make a voyage on a container ship. What is life like on a container ship? Well, now it's a little different. Now they all have satellite internet and you know, you're much more connected to the, you know, the, the shore uh, via the internet. But uh, when I was doing it, there was no internet, you know, maybe you could get like a text email once a week, um, you know, and so I mean, it was a bunch of like VHS videos and lots of reading and, uh, you know, very, uh, very isolated. So and also because I was on US flagships, which are primarily uh, crewed by, you know, 50% Americans and then 50% uh, Filipino non-licensed crew. So maybe you're on a ship with 30 people, but, you know, 18 of them uh, speak very limited English. So, I mean, you're not a lot, you know, you're not a lot of, you know, I spent months on a ship in the Indian Ocean and didn't, was never in a room with more than 10 people for six months. And you didn't go stir crazy? I, I mean, I went a little crazy, you know. Cause then I got dropped off at the Singapore airport, you know, and there's just this, you know, massive humanity pressing against you. And I had to, I had to take a minute, you know, sit down and calm down for a minute. I had a little, little panic attack. After, oh, what a, you know, a, what a change, what a change being out for months at sea with, you know, very few humans around you to being just kind of like packed into a, a sardine can. Right. Right. Exactly. At least they were only like chest high. So <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear about this year's attempt on the Everglades Challenge. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, 
Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. All right, welcome back. We're talking to BS, Brian Sheridan, and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of your uh, latest attempt at the Everglades Challenge. Now, remind us again, what what got in the way of finishing this the last time you attempted it? Uh, the short answer is fitness. Um, I just wasn't physically fit enough to uh, paddle as long and as fast as I needed to to make the time cutoffs. Uh, secondarily, uh, um, one of the guys I helped set his sailboat up on the start line, I learned on day three that he had been lost at sea and, uh, eventually, you know, learned that he had died at sea, never, never recovered his body. They found his boat, but not him. Oh, wow. Did we cover this last time? I don't remember that. Yes. Yeah, we did. So I made it to, uh, Marco Island, which is you know, a little over halfway. Um, uh, I was behind on time. I was going to have to paddle all night to make the next time cut off at the next uh, checkpoint. You know, I had a sore shoulder. Um, and from Marco Island to the next uh, uh, cutoff point, there's nothing. So it's either I stop at Marco Island or I paddle the next 30 miles to the next checkpoint because there's, you know, it's through 10,000 Islands National Park at night uh you know so i just decided to throw the talent you know i got stuff to do on monday and people counting on me to do it and uh this race is not worth dying over also i knew the weather was getting bad so i didn't want to potentially put myself in a situation i need to call for help you know that's very responsible of you you know rule number one don't be a next victim nice i like i like like your rule book All right. So what did you do having, you know, having this, this past experience and this background knowledge about the race, this 300 mile race through Everglades national park and 10,000 mile, 10,000 islands national park. Uh, what, how did you prepare differently? So in 2022, uh, or the lead up to 2022, um, I, previously was focused more on like boat handling and like experience in the boat and, and, and was trying to, my goal was really to put miles you know, just do miles in the boat. Uh, and in the lead up to 2022, my focus was really more physical fitness. So I spent a lot more time in the gym, a lot more time on the rowing machine, um, you know, studied 
paddling efficiency and um, learned a lot from a lot of my fellow competitors, you know, about uh, this one particular guy named Scott Bass, who's known as Conquistador. He's, he, uh, he actually just finished the Yukon 1000 in a stand-up paddleboard. Uh, his big thing is that you can train a lifetime to go half a knot faster, but you can, you know, spend a weekend and get 30 minutes faster at setting up camp, taking down camp, cooking dinner, organizing your stuff. So I also focused a lot on uh, speed of setup and takedown, you know, cause if you're paddling, let's say 20 miles in a day and the guy next to you is half a knot faster cause he's a, you know, much better athlete. That's, you know, only an hour or sorry, two hours difference over a day. But if he camps 30 minutes slower than you set up 30 minutes slower, take down 30 minutes slower, he's just eaten half of his lead and set up and take down. So a lot of what I focused on was speed, speed, but not on necessarily on the water, you know, speed on the camping side. So BS, that leads me to ask, you know, are you in competition against yourself just trying to compete, complete this, uh, this attempt, or are, are you looking to uh, chase down those folks in front of you and, and put them in the rearview mirror? Well, both, um, uh, you know, I mean, the, the race is really against yourself uh, and the elements, uh, but, you know, you still have classes. And, uh, you know, when I started the race, I think there was 12, 12 people in my class. So I had, 12 other people to beat, um, you know, it's, you've heard the, you know, two boats on the water heading to the same place is a boat race. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's a race, you know, you're, you're, I'm not out there for, uh, last, you know, That's right. I mean, there's, there's competitiveness in, in each of us. I always hate when I'm jogging, if I see somebody in front of me. If there's yes. another jogger out there, because then I, f- I just feel compelled that, you know, I, I need to I need to catch that person and Gotta chase that rabbit. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. it. So you, you mentioned 12 people in your class. What, what class were you in? So I was in uh, what's called class one, which is recreational canoes and kayaks. And I was class one with sail. So I had a uh, uh, one square meter sail on the bow of my vessel. OK, how, how, long, how, how long was your vessel? So I had an 18 foot, uh, six inch long Kevlar canoe made by, uh, Clipper canoes. It's called a C1, but it's a, it's called a Dex canoe. It looks very much like a kayak, but, um, the difference is it does not have bulkheads. So it's like a kayak has, you know, compartmentalized spaces inside it that you can access with hatches. Uh, my boat's one big open space, you know, so if you pour a cup of water into the bow and lean the boat back, it'll roll all the way back to the rudder. Got it. And it's made out of Kevlar, so you can uh, withstand any attack from modern day pirates? <laughs> that and oysters. Uh, okay. Use Kevlar instead of uh, fiberglass or carbon fiber because it's uh, terror resistant. Okay. Now let's, uh, let's go to day one. You, uh, do you line up at the, the start line? Is there a start line on the water? You start on shore. How does that, how does that work? You, so the race, you have to start about uh, 30 feet above the high tide line. So all the boats start on dry sand. And then at 7 a.m., uh, you know, the start gun, it's not really a start gun. They just say go. But uh, you have to be able to get your own boat off the beach by yourself. Or, you know, if you're in a, a team of two, two people on the boat, you can't have any outside help at any point in the race. 
So other race competitors can help you beyond the start line, but no outside help at all from anyone in the race. So you're, you know, your wife can't meet you, you know, at an overpass with a package full of food. Uh, and you know, the big, it's a big part of the race is no outside help. And if you no want outside. McDonald's, if you want McDonald's, you just got to walk to McDonald's and get your own McDonald's. That's not a problem, but I don't suggest it. You can get McDonald's on your own, but there's no, no throwing a bag of McDonald's from the overpass as you, right. as you uh, pass beneath. Exactly. Got exactly. it. Got it. And you mentioned earlier from your past trip that you, you just felt you weren't able to meet those time windows. What, what are the time windows? What are the checkpoints and what are the hours that you need to, to be there by? So uh, checkpoint one is about uh, 50 miles from the start and you have uh, basically 26 hours or 28 hours to get there. So you start at 7am on Saturday and you have to be past checkpoint one by I think uh, 10 a.m. on Sunday. And then the next checkpoint is uh, Chakalusky, which is like 120 miles away, I think. Um, that's the longest run. Uh, and Ch- then Chakalusky? Chakalusky, yeah. Yeah, Chakalusky. A- I, I, I went to college with that guy. <laughs> yeah, we all just say Chucko, but uh, yeah, Chakalusky is a small fishing village, sort of surrounded on you know four sides by the uh 10,000 Isles National Park um and then from Chukaluski you have I believe you have to be past Flamingo which is another 100 miles away uh uh, and that's in the middle of Everglades National Park and you have till normally until uh Friday morning to get to uh flamingo and leave arrive and leave and then uh you have basically eight days to get to um key largo from tampa so the you have the following sunday morning um to finish so there's a party saturday or sunday morning like a barbecue and uh like an award ceremony sunday morning for the race so if you don't make the award ceremony you didn't finish okay now, do you pack all eight days worth of food and water in the in the canoe with you? Yes, I do. And that's kind of a requirement. I mean, unless you plan on stopping at restaurants along the way. Well, you mentioned McDonald's earlier, so I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, there's people that do it, but uh, mostly those are sailboats that, you know, go much faster and are not so concerned about the time cutoffs. Uh, us, us paddlers, you know, normally take 100% of what we need. And then depending on where you are on the race course, also 100% of your water. So that's, you know, for the, for the backpacker listeners out there, it's one thing to walk a hundred miles. It's another thing to carry a hundred percent of your food and water that you need for a hundred miles. Got it. Now let's not bury the lead. Uh, did you finish this year? I did. I did. Uh, Congratulations. I did really well. yeah. That's awesome. Now, when you say you did really well, what, how well is really well? So I think about 110 uh, vessels started uh, the race. I think there was, uh, like I said, I think there was 12 in my class. Um, and I was the only person in my class to finish. Uh, 2022. That means first place. That's right. You are legend. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, but this year was an exceptionally hard year, uh, very high attrition rate. I think there was only 
30, 30 finishers overall out of uh, 110. Uh, and I think there was uh, eight paddlecraft that finished. And of the eight paddlecraft that finished, I was uh, third, third to the beach. So there were two guys that finished ahead of me um, in uh, class one or two, which is the two sort of, uh, you know, canoe kayak classes. Uh, one was a former Olympic athlete and the other sent a Guinness book of world records earlier that year for paddling the Mississippi, like a speed record for paddling the Mississippi. Wow. Now what put them in a different class than you, you, you said you were, you were, yeah. So they're, they're all the 12, yeah. but you were third to these guys. So they were, um, they were in what are called, uh, class two boats, which are, uh, or they had, sorry, they didn't have sales. They're in a different class. I was the first person and only person to finish with a class one boat with a sail. Understood. All right. So, I mean, that's got to feel pretty good. You, you, you finished right behind uh, an Olympic athlete and a, a record, a world record holder. Yeah, I was, uh, it was good. I was very happy. All right. Now we, we skipped really quick there from the start to the finish, but I know there's a lot of things that happened in between those two moments. Yeah. You want to take us through some of the, uh, maybe the high points, the low points, <clears throat> the, the misadventures, the, oh my gosh, am I going to make it kind of uh, yeah. type two fun? Yeah. Type two. Yeah. And there was some type three for sure. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Uh, so day one was sort of uneventful, uh, started at 7am, um, had a little bit of wind, sailed a little bit, uh, but then very soon, you know, before probably noon on day one, that the wind switched right into the nose. So, and, and it stayed there uh, paddling into the wind, which is why there was such a high attrition rate that year because, um, you know, not everybody's prepared to paddle into the wind for seven days. Uh, and certainly a lot of the sailboaters are not prepared to tack into the wind. Um, so anyways, paddle along, uh, make camp, didn't make checkpoint one the first night. Um, a lot of, a lot of the other people I was with pushed late two, three in the morning, um, to make checkpoint one. Uh, I'm not a fan of doing that. Uh, cause I'm a big believer in rest is really important, especially in the beginning. So I tend to camp early, uh, and then get up early and make checkpoint one, you know, right at first light the next day. And I did that. Uh, and when you're in the checkpoints, there's a, a sign in log. So you can look back through the log and, and see, you know, when your friends or, or, you know, uh, competitors signed in and, and when they left. Um, so I had a good idea, you know, there's a fairly good sized group of people I knew in front of me. Um, I didn't know how far in front of me they were because, you know, I stopped paddling, let's say at midnight and was in bed asleep by 12, you know, 12, 15. And, uh, they didn't get to the checkpoint till three, you know, maybe didn't leave for an hour or so. Uh, and then the other problem is past checkpoint one, there's almost nowhere to camp. So they had to stop somewhere and sleep. Um, so day two, uh, weather was a, you know, as always is a big factor when you're outside. Um, I knew that day two late was going to be good for sailing. So I kind of took my time early day two, uh, crossing was Charlotte Harbor, which is a big open body of water, which really messed me up in 2020 um and i knew there was going to be a drop in the wind midday so i intentionally like 
stopped at 11, took a, you know, long lunch in expectation of paddling late that night and crossing Charlotte Harbor in the lowest wind possible. Cause it was a, you know, a straight headwind across Charlotte Harbor. Uh, everything's going good had a couple issues with my boat, uh, stop and fix those. Um, but you know, obviously as a professional boat repairman, this is not a problem. And, uh, Tuesday nights really where I had the, the first, uh, good luck. Tuesday night, the wind picked up out of the east. I'm headed south, so it's a you know perfect sailing conditions. Uh, and I really flew down the course Tuesday night, um, still basically alone, not alone, but you know not seeing many people. Um, I I go from uh, a town called Mat Lachey uh, all the way down to the um, Sanibel Bridge. Uh, which has a little island in the middle, camped on Sanibel Bridge that night, doing really well, made it uh, much, much farther than I had the year before, was, was you know, and, and sailed the whole time, almost didn't, didn't paddle at all from 8 p.m. till midnight, uh, made camp on Sanibel Island, which is a huge, or Sanibel Causeway Island, which is a huge mistake. Um, now, I slept right next to a Port of John, but not in the Port of John, close. Close. Uh, but this island I slept on was infested with rats, like rats everywhere to the point where they were like circle. Like I was unpacking my stuff and trying to set up my tent and they're like sniffing around my boat and like scurrying everywhere. So there was a piece of rebar sticking up out of the beach, like right on the water's edge. I took my boat into the water so the rats couldn't climb into my boat, eat my stuff and tied my boat off in the water and then tried to pull all my stuff into my tent so the rats wouldn't chew on my stuff. Unfortunately, I left one of my gloves out sitting, you know, hanging in a tree trying to dry off. And in the morning when I got up, there was just, it was just chewed to bits. The rats had gnawed on it and there was, and then the glove just did not smell right. So. Yeah, I would imagine not. Now, is there, was there any ever, was there ever any consideration to sleep on the boat? I mean, out of, out of, no, no, I mean, maybe other boats you can sleep on, but, uh -huh. and, and I could have a very uh, unrestful, fitful night of sleep in my boat if I absolutely had to, but it's, you know, the things, you know, much narrower than my shoulders. So Got getting it. in, you know, getting inside my boat and sleeping is not, I mean, it's physically possible, but, uh, not, not a good idea, especially night two of a, you know, six, seven day race. Right now. I think earlier on the sock question, you said you were 300 pounds. Is that, were you, were you exaggerating or is that, is that? Accurate? No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Serious. Okay. And how uh, tall are you? Six, two, six, two, 300 pounds. Yeah. Um, okay. you know, Texas high school football player, uh, right. played rugby in college. Offensive lineman, defensive lineman, D defensive lineman, wide receiver, maybe <laughs> Yeah, wide receivers, <laughs> worst nightmare, maybe. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you, you, you escape almost unharmed from, from rat Island. How does it go? Yeah. From there? So get up the next morning. Um, there's almost no wind, uh, paddle South of Sanibel, uh, and then really soon meet up with a group of four other paddlers um 
I knew of these people, but I hadn't really met them so well. Uh, one of them is kind of a, an author that writes a lot about uh, paddle racing and uh, his name is Rod Price. His uh, uh, tribe name is called River Slayer. Um, and then there's uh, three other people in like super high performance, um, real skinny kayaks. Uh, one is a married couple, a man and a woman uh, named, uh, it was Mary and uh, Andy. And then another guy named Gil, who was friends with them. Uh, I, did, I had never really met them before. I knew of them just from hearing about them on the tribe. But uh, I think Gil was the least experienced of the group who had only attempted five Everglades challenges and finished four. And the rest of them had uh, finished, like Andy had finished 10 Everglades challenges and attempted 11. Uh, Rod, I think, had done six or seven, attempted eight. Uh, so, I mean, these guys are, uh, you know, tribe elders, elite, elite Everglades challenge paddlers. Right. How so, long has the, how long has the Everglades challenge been in existence? <clears throat> I think the first one was in 2000 or 2001. Okay. So 20, 20 plus years. Right. Right. And like, like these people, I mean, do you plan on doing uh, more Everglades challenge challenge? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Maybe 24. 24 again. Yeah. In 2024. Oh, not, in 2024, not, not 24, yeah, yeah. 24 races. No, no, no. Okay. Does your wife know? Uh, you know, I've is mentioned it. Find, is she going to find out listening to this podcast? She may not. Yeah, she will definitely not listen to the podcast. Hundred percent, no way. Uh, <laughs> if she doesn't, I'll try, know, I'll try not to take that personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think I'll definitely do it again. Uh, and there's a few other races uh around that I'll probably do. There's like a um, uh. A race in North Florida that's like 250 miles uh, down a river that Rod Price actually hosts. Um, or there's a, a race called Chatta Jack. I think it's from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Jacksonville, Florida uh, River. Anyways, there's there's other races. I'm thinking about doing the MR350 uh, as well. The Missouri River. Uh, it's a 350 mile Missouri River race. Um, but yeah. So Dave... Dave, now are, are river races are they are they easier because you're going with the flow of the river or are you are you paddling? yeah uh, well it's a different thing i mean uh a river race there's you know very little navigation obviously you have current with you um you know where it's more of just a straight physical challenge like you know can you can you pull on the paddle long enough to make it fast enough to finish the race <clears throat> whereas everybody's challenge um is much more uh, about navigation and, and choices on the race course and uh, and tides are a big factor. So not only is it, you know, do you, you know, make the correct turn, but timing the turn or timing your arrival in a place so that the tides are advantageous. Uh, it's, it's a significantly more complicated um, race course. Now, were there ever any dicey moments uh, in terms of navigation or decision making on this particular attempt of of the challenge? Absolutely. So, uh, kind of fast forward a bit. Uh, met up with the four other paddlers, uh, which we dubbed ourselves the Five Amigos. Um, we basically paddled together for the whole next day. 
you know, beautiful conditions down the beach, no problems. Um, make it to 10,000 Isles National uh, Park, which is named that for a reason. There's maybe not literally 10,000 Isles, but close. Um, uh, Mary and Andy, the married couple who we're paddling with, have intimate knowledge of this place. Like they were, uh, they weren't debating on which way to go. They were debating on which migratory birds were most likely to be encountered on which island at what time the, so we could view them, you know. Uh, it was like we were getting a tour of their, you know, finely manicured backyard. So the, the, the weather got nasty. So uh, it's picked up, the wind picked up big time. Uh, we're getting three to four foot rollers offshore. Um, and there is a route on the, you know, inside the islands to, to Chukaluski where we needed to go. But uh, finding that route is, is very difficult. Um, so they're taking us through these tiny little cuts and tiny little islands that according to my GPS, we're supposed to be on dry dirt. Um, and, you know, paddle, you know, no wrong turns, like exactly like, okay, we're going to go up here 50 feet. You're going to see a big tree. It'll be on your left. And then we're going to make a right. And <clears throat> unbelievably we made it through like perfectly. Uh, there's no way I would have made it through 10,000 miles without, uh, this amazing group of people. Um, and, uh, the, the weather was just awful trying to go on the outside, the straight, easy route, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico was treacherous, you know, big rolling waves. Now, is this part of your strategy at the, at the starting line? That no, you're going to find these, these four other people. Cause you knew their, their expertise and just kind of tag along or just kind of no. worked out that way. It just, it just worked out that way. Um, nice. That's very fortunate. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, well, and you know, cause uh, again, cause I focus on fitness, uh, I was able to paddle fairly fast and, um, I could have paddled faster than this group of people and, you know, left them. Um, but I made a, you know, a conscious decision of, you know, like really like Mr. You know, I attempted last year and failed and now you're going to paddle away from, you know, arguably the most, the four most experienced paddlers on the race course. Like, how about you just, you know, take the finish, follow the people that know what they're doing and, uh, you know, swallow your ego a little bit. So, I mean, it was definitely an intentional, like, uh, you know, they were a little bit slower than me at times, but you know, that sounds like a pretty darn good decision BS. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Nicely done. So, uh, we get to Chukaluski, 3 a.m., camp, sleep, wake up the next morning. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a math guy, right? So this is now uh, day four, which is uh, Wednesday morning. We are 100 miles through the uh, uh, Everglades National Park. So there's no towns, there's no cities, there's no roads, there's no human anything of any kind for the next hundred miles. So we need to paddle a hundred miles and get to the next checkpoint by uh, Friday. The time cutoff is Friday morning at 8 a.m. for to arrive. That's now, put, put a pin in right there because I, I, I see direct parallels through uh, to through hiking. And that is, you know, when I'm in the Sierras and I am in the middle of nowhere, with no, you know, there's no, there's no bailout. There's no nearby town. 
if something goes wrong, it's going to go wrong and you have to deal with it. Uh, I imagine you have to have a pretty similar feeling being in the middle of the Everglades, uh, being a hundred miles away from, from anything. The only difference is you got to carry all your water too. Yeah. Cause there's no, it's all salt water. There's no right. fresh water. So, you know, not only like, for example, you know, like, uh, you understand the, like estimating how much food you're going to eat and estimating how much distance you're going to make. So if you, if you end up going slow, not only are you going to run out of food, but I'm going to run out of water. Right. So, you know, it's a, it's a thing you need to carry enough to get out, even if you have a bad day. So I'm laying in my tent that morning doing the math thinking, you know, we got, you know, 48 hours or something like that to go a hundred miles and your boat is as heavy as it ever is because you're carrying, you know, a hundred miles worth of water. So I left Chukalusky with 28 liters in my boat. Um, and then, you know, whatever food I needed for the rest of the race, I didn't think we'd make it. You know, I was, I, I, you know, I was like, look, if you guys want to go, I'll, I'll follow you into the Everglades and, you know, we'll have a lovely paddle in the Everglades and, you know, I'll call my wife from Flamingo. It'll be no problem. And, uh, they, the, the rest of the amigos gave me this unbelievable pep talk about, you know, like you trained so hard and we've come so far and we're going to do this. And, um, and we did. So we left Chukalusky at 10 a.m. on Wednesday and then paddled continuously for 22 hours, making 70 miles in 22 hours. Uh, before, you know, and then so the, the, the reason of our extended paddle was we needed to make a tide. Uh, there's a section of the Everglades called the Nightmare which is a, a cut through a tidal creek that at low tide is dry, you know, or not dry, but, you know, mucky dirt. And at high tide is a barely passable, um, you know, three foot wide creek through, you know, old growth Everglades. So we needed to make the high tide to make that section. At that time, there was, you know, a high tide every 12 hours. So if we didn't make that, it would put us back 12 hours. We wouldn't make our time cut off. So we pushed hard through the night to arrive at the nightmare at like 5 a.m. Then paddled through the nightmare, which is uh, the trees are so dense, you lose GPS signal. Um, like we have, everybody has a spot tracker as a part of the race requirement. And you lose your spot tracker even doesn't get signal because the tree canopy is so dense. Make it through the nightmare um, and then paddle down what's called Harney Creek. Um, and then make it to a chicky, which is the only place to camp in the Everglades, which are uh, essentially a dock with a roof on it. Um, so, cause there is no dry land. So we make it to the chicky about nine in the morning. Uh, and then, you know, basically just fall out of our boats and sleep. Uh, slept till three in the afternoon. I got up and ate, 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 drank. Um, but we still needed to make it another 30 miles. So that evening we got back in our boats, paddled through the night to Flamingo that we made it about 3 a.m. Now uh, there's a unique little spot of the Everglades um, called Button, the Buttonwood Canal. So uh, the Florida Everglades is the only place in the world where alligators and crocodiles exist together. 
But in the Buttonwood Canal, it's primarily crocodiles because it's a brackish, you know, salt and freshwater mixed canal. So we're exhausted, you know, obviously we've been paddling all night. Um, and this, this section of the paddle, my, uh, you know, focus on sleeping five, 10 minutes more than the people next to you and resting a little bit more really came in. They were all much more fatigued than me. And I was able to set pace and kind of keep them going. Um, but by 3 a.m. I was exhausted and resorted to, uh, you know, belting out country ballads in order to uh, stay awake through the Buttonwood Canal. Um, now, you, you Californians may not know this, but um, at night when you shine your light into brush and there's animal eyes that look back, predator eyes are red. And uh, like frog eyes or um, non-predator eyes are like white or silver. And so going down the Buttonwood Canal, so sleepy, I'm about to fall out of my boat. You turn your head left or right, and all you see is a sea of red eyes. All crocodile eyes. And they're just waiting for, for BS to fall asleep and, and, and slide out of the boat. Exactly. Exactly. So we make uh, Flamingo. It's 3 a.m. Um, the, the, Flamingo's a nice place because it's really the only convenient uh, like spot of luxury. There's a convenience store there. So you can buy breakfast and hot coffee and nice things like that. So, but the problem is you're not allowed to set up a tent there. Uh, so when we show up at 3 a.m., the mosquitoes are intense. You know, just, just you know, I, I'm, I'm putting my hood on, you know, covering my face. They're, they're intense. So I basically use my tent as like a mosquito net and then uh, wedge a paddle like underneath my arm to sort of, you know, elevate the net off my back and, you know, pass out with my earplugs in so the mosquitoes don't buzz me awake all night. Um, then the next morning, uh, Andy wakes me up and, uh, it, you know, it was more like, uh, reincarnating the dead. I did not want to get up. Apparently, uh, he says he was shaking me for five minutes before I moved, but, uh, we wake up at seven, <clears throat> you know, had a, uh, a breakfast burrito and a monster to go. And I got in our boats and, you know, sailed across Florida Bay for the, the finish, which was awesome because, uh, that was actually March 11th, which is my 42nd birthday. And uh, on the finish line, my wife and my two daughters were there waiting for me. Uh, and so I could, I could hear them screaming at me from, you know, probably a mile out. because They can see me on their phones on the tracker. You know, like the race app tracker. And uh, so as soon as I hit the beach, the, you know, the, the cheers went from like, daddy, daddy, to, you know, the whole the whole crowd breaking out in a happy birthday. It was awesome. How cool is that? What a way to finish. Yeah, it was great. And, and take us, take us through, you know, what, what kind of emotions and thoughts are running through your mind as you, you finish this incredible, uh, physically demanding, uh, event. I mean, you, you had trained for this, you'd been unsuccessful in your previous attempt and here you are, 
now finishing it a, a year and a half later, two years later. Right. Yeah. It was a, almost a five years of effort, uh, for the finish. It was amazing. Uh, you know, I was happy. I was, uh, but I think I was so fatigued. I, I wasn't able to like mentally shift gears out of like race mode. So I got to the beach and I'm, you know, walking, like my parents are there and like, I'm walking around, like, you know, talking to everybody and I just don't want to take off my life jacket. It's, it's like a race requirement. Like you must have your life jacket on at all times. Uh, you know, I hardly ever took it out. I really only took it off to sleep for the, you know, the past, you know, six days or seven days. And, uh, it got to the point where my mom had to like pull me aside. She's like, take your life jacket off. It's, it's a little weird. You know, it's like, Oh, well, this gives me safety, you know? And, uh, it was, it took me a minute to, you know, mentally shift gears out of the, uh, race mode and into the, like, you know, rejoining society. Right. It was awesome. Now, Brian, I know you've listened to the podcast. So you're familiar with the concept of post trail depression. Is there, is there such thing as a post race depression? I mean, did you suffer? I, I don't like think that? so. It was, uh, I was pretty beat up. Like I, I, um, basically slept the whole next, like I got up eight, slept more, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, I, I think I slept till like 10, got up ate breakfast, slept till two, got up ate lunch, slept till six, got up ate dinner. You know, sl- you know, I slept a lot. I wasn't, I was, I was so fatigued and, and beat up that, uh, I, I don't really have any, it, and, and plus the, the happy ending was, you know, so good i I don't think there's any depression it was just pure joy pure joy and a lot of eating and sleeping yes recovering got it yeah all right hey bs you know where we are oh you got something else i do know where we are oh i was gonna say i I, uh cold beer plenty of that's and cold beer that's 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 recovery drink that is the the best recovery drink i agree I, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to adjust your, your, uh, your sanity scale up to like 68. <laughs> you said that. So, well, I always reserve the right to adjust that score a little bit as, as the interview goes on. So there we so, are, Brian, you know where we are? I believe I do. Yes. Where are we? The pro tip inside of the week. Pro tip inside of the week. That's right. Half calf. We are at the pro tip insight of the week where bs is going to share some 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 trail wisdom some outdoor adventure wisdom with our listeners to make their next experience even better so what do you have for us okay so on the mosquito theme uh spray mosquito repellent is not that effective especially down here in south florida so what the real everglades uh explorers use is cream like a lotion now, there's two kinds of this lotion. One is uh, like a DEET cream, which uh, works really well, but is a little carcinogenic and uh, will also melt plastic. If, if, the, if your DEET cream leaks like in your, uh, you know, your waterproof bag and it's some sort of polymer, it will turn it into like jelly. So there's another brand called Picadarin. Uh, that is not, doesn't have any DEET, less carcinogenic and won't melt your pocket watch or your wristwatch if you accidentally get the cream on your, uh, on your watch. I noticed you didn't say it's non-carcinogenic. You just said it's less carcinogenic. As, well, you know, because you're in California, everything causes cancer in California. So that's right. 
Deet cream, deet cream. You know, I, I think I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times, you know, when you have enough deet on your faces, it, it's when your lips go numb. Yes, and so I, I, I can't imagine a cream uh, that dissolves plastic, actually rubbing that on your skin. But I mean, if the mosquitoes are bad enough, I guess you would try just about anything. That's right. That's right. So, so yeah, you don't go for the, don't go for the full deep cream. You got to go to the, the, uh, pick a Darren. It's a different chemical, uh, less, less cancery, I think. And, uh, but it, it will melt plastic. So like, okay. if, if you have like a, like a G-Shock watch on, you put the deep cream on there, like in an hour or so your G-Shock watch will be a pile of goo. Hmm. Now, you know, you being a math guy and not an English guy, I hesitate to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just for clarification for our listeners yeah. out there. How do you spell Picadern? Ha! Bad <laughs> question. I will Google it for you. Drop that no, into Google. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do what all good dyslexic kids do when they can't spell. Uh, if, if you're not watching this on YouTube, that was just a classic moment because uh, he, he's sitting kind of in a dark room. And uh, he says, I'm going to Google it. As soon as he, as soon as he says that he obviously has touched his computer and his whole face is now kind of washed out in this bright white glow. Okay. It is spelled. Uh, repellent. <laughs> We're going to get this for our listeners. We want yes. to know what he's talking about here. Okay, so the product is made um, by Sawyer. Okay. And it is called, it is spelled P-I-C-A-R-I-D-I-N. Okay. The Cardin. The Cardin. But it's made it's, by Sawyer. I mean, so you, you can trust Sawyer. Sawyer. Sawyer is a yeah. good brand. Yeah. Very, very low on the, uh, you know, cancery scale. Cancery scale. Oh, you know what? That might be the title of the episode, low on the cancery scale. <laughs> I'm always, you also said something earlier. Uh, it's a thing that might, that might be the title of the episode too. <laughs> always on the lookout for, for good title suggestions just from our, our commentary. So. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with BS. Want to thank him for joining us this week. BS, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, Brian Sheridan, and then I'm on Instagram, uh, Brian Sheridan04. 04. 04. Is that new as well? I'm, yeah, new to the Insta. New to the Insta, Brian Sheridan04. Yep. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Now, Brian, I know we already talked about some adventure media earlier on with, uh, uh, what was my, my, my recommendation? Deep Water. Deep Water yes. on YouTube. But I, I want to hear something from you as well. Do you have a recommendation for some kind of documentary, movie, or book uh, related to outdoor adventure you can share with our, our listeners? Oof. So I'll just repeat uh, my last one. And that's um, uh, if you go to YouTube, there's a guy, uh, I mentioned him earlier, uh, Conquistador in the Water Tribe. His name is Scott Bass. And he has a great uh, YouTube channel. Uh, called uh, Sup Sojourner. 
and uh, he does amazing videos, gear videos, adventure videos. Um, learned a lot from. I mean, he, he lives in Key Largo, uh, buddy of mine. But um, you know, if you're looking to get into paddle racing, his his gear suggestions are good and uh, very detailed. Okay, fantastic conquistador. Yep. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, I've got just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What did we miss tonight? Um, okay, so the two characters in my story, Mary and Andy, um, yes. they live in Tampa, but Andy's, or sorry, Mary's parents were sort of in ground zero for uh, Hurricane uh, Ian. 24 hours after the storm had passed, her mom called her saying that she was trapped in her attic with six feet of water in the house. Um, Mary reached out on Facebook, was looking for people to uh, maybe help rescue her mom or, you know, do anything they could. I had messaged her back a few times, but eventually was like, look, I think you need to go, you know, rescue her yourself. So, uh, Thursday night late, her and Andy packed up an 18 foot or no, a 22 foot four person canoe, uh, drove down to her mom's house, paddled into her neighborhood, which was still had four to five feet of water in it, um, collected her mom and her dad, their dog and a bird and self-rescued her mom out of her, um, house in, uh, what's, I believe the neighborhood's called North Point which is near Fort Myers. Wow. That's incredible. Heroes. Yeah. Uh, well, and rescuing their parents and their pets. Right. So, and these two people have done, you know, multiple, you know, like 10 or 11, Everglades challenges between them. So that was my, you know, little did you know, your years of Everglades challenge experience were just training to rescue your mom. Wow. And dad. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. It was a and happy end of the story and they were fine. Everything's good. Good. Yep. Good. Um, I know a lot of folks, millions of folks down in, in Florida have experienced just unbelievable loss and, and struggle. Um, what, what, I mean, from your perspective, you know, you're in Florida, what, what is it like down there right now? Well, uh, I'm in sort of, you know, the much farther South and on the East coast. So, you know, for us, the storm was a non-event, you know, it was a little bit windy, a little bit rainy. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, for there, there's a, a big section of, you know, Southwest Florida, sort of, you know, Sanibel, Fort Myers, um, North, you know, North Point, uh, Charlotte Harbor area that is washed away. Uh, you know, for example, the Rat Island that we talked about, uh, that island is now cut in half by the hurricane, you know, cutting the island in half and the road that passed over it. Uh, the Sanibel Causeway is cut in half in two places. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. Um, there's going to be, you know, years and years to rebuild. And, uh, you know, I, my heart goes out to all the people affected by the storm. It's Absolutely. a terrible thing. Yep. Yep. No doubt. Now, um, that's a wrap from the John Freakamere studio. Any shout outs to friends and family BS? Uh, you know, just my uh, amazing wife and kids and uh, my parents who support me in my crazy adventures. Fantastic. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill. 
doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if all you see is red predator eyes all around you. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Thank <laughs> you.